Did you know that this is our first Advent service ever? What I mean by that is our previous years, we were only doing one gathering a month, and it always just fell on Christmas Eve. And so we weren't talking a whole lot about Advent in those services. Anyway, my name is Joe. Good morning. In case we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Vineyard Covington, and I get the opportunity today to talk to you about Advent and some other things. So I'm looking forward to that. Before we dive in, though, I wanted to ask a really important question. And I know we've raised our hands a lot already, but I believe in you. Who here loves to wait? Raise your hand. I didn't, no, nobody loves to, yeah, me neither. Waiting's not great, is it? Um, and we live in a world now where a lot of the waiting that we used to have to do is, has been shortened significantly. For those of you that remember dial-up internet, you can give me an amen. Um, and so I thought I would look up a few waiting facts to kind of loosen us up this morning. Can we get loosened up? You ready? You can wait for me to do this. Studies say people uh, spend about six months to a year of their life. Six months to a year of your life is spent waiting in a line. That's something, isn't it? Think about like amusement parks or the DMV maybe. Um, Also, we spend a lot of time waiting in traffic, don't we? Especially uh, those of us that have lived in or live in bigger cities. Uh, studies show that there's like 20 to 30 minutes a day just sitting waiting in traffic. And everybody's favorite is probably waiting on hold on the phone. I heard a few groans, and I agree with your groans. Do you have some favorite hold time music that you like? No? Who thought that that would be a good idea? I don't know. I mean, at, at one point it probably made sense. And there's a few other funny ones that I wanted to bring up to you. Did you know that surveys suggest that people spend an average of 10 to 15 seconds staring at the microwave, waiting for their food to to warm up? And they say it it seems like it's taking way longer than those numbers suggest. Have you ever done that? You just stare at the, come on, need this burrito. Or what about us waiting for the internet to load? Doesn't it seem like it should happen faster than it does? And it happens so much faster than it used to. But this is maybe the best one. Waiting for a text reply. You know how you send someone a text and then you see the three dots come up and they're going like this and you're like, oh, here we go. And then they disappear. And you're like, and then they come back and then they disappear. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's excruciating, isn't it? You're like, just come on, I know you're typing something. And there's some serious ones too. Those are pretty frivolous if we think about life. But there's some serious waiting going on in this world. Think about people that are waiting for immigration paperwork or are seeking asylum from a war-torn country. Like, those waits can be really long and excruciating and play a really significant role on people's mental health, and a bunch of other things. Or think about children that are waiting to be adopted or placed with a good foster parent. It can impact their emotional well-being and development big time, can it? And I think when we think about history, there's a lot of people groups that have waited for a lot of things over time. And the one that comes to mind that directly uh, impacts us today is the people of God waiting for Jesus, the Messiah, to come. 
And it's that waiting that we step into during Advent. We've already been talking about it a little bit today. Quick summary of Advent, if you don't know what it means, it comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which just means the arrival. And the season marks a time where we reflect on the birth of Jesus while looking forward to him coming again. And it's a really powerful season. Themes of Advent include joy, love, peace, and hope. Um, And we're going to look at a passage or two today that talk about waiting and the things that help get us through waiting. Sound good? All right. Let's pray first. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here today. I thank you for the emotion in the room, the love that you've already been pouring out, and we just ask for more. Pray that you'd open ears and minds to what you have to say. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. All right. I want us to look at a passage today in a book called Lamentations. I know. I know. And um, for those of you that haven't spent much time in this book, spoiler alert, it's kind of a downer. (laughs) Just a little bit. Maybe you caught that already by the name. Lamentations, Lament. And uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, writer, um, described Lamentations as a funeral service for the death of a city. And that city was Jerusalem, and Lamentations is a poetic reflection of the fall of Jerusalem that happened in 587 B.C., a really long time ago. If you want to read more about that, you can go to 2 Kings 24 and 25. Extra credit, okay? I see a lot of people writing that down. (laughs) Most, Most scholars actually think that the prophet Jeremiah was the one that wrote Lamentations as well. So it's a memorial to the pain and the suffering that a people group encountered when they were taken over by another group, where they were kind of destroyed uh, by the Babylonians. And the author of these lamentations is looking back and remembering and lamenting each thing, each step of this process. And there's a lot of pain in lamentations. Like I said, it's a downer. But there's this one point. There's this one part of Lamentations where hope springs up. And when I think about hope, I think about an image like this. I'm sure you've seen an image that is similar to this. It's just like concrete, and there's a little spring of something coming up. And I think about it like, you know, there's this natural ground, and someone decided, this is a great place for some concrete. And so they poured a bunch of concrete all over it, right? But over time, something just cracks through and springs up. New life comes out of a place where it doesn't really look like it should come out of that place. I think about hope a lot when I think about images like this. Do you like that? Have you seen these before? Yeah. I'm not the first one to make this comparison, trust me. So Lamentations 3 is where we're going to camp out a little bit. And the start of the chapter is really packed with a lot of those painful laments. The uh, author is saying things like, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He's driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. He says things like, he's broken my teeth with gravel. Like I said, this is pretty rough stuff. He trampled me in the dust. This is the pain 
the collective anguish that a people group is feeling at this time. And the author is looking back and remembering. But I want to pick it up in verse 19. So Lamentations 3.19, it'll be on the screen as well. Verse 19, and I'm reading from the NIV. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind. Here comes the little spring. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Have you ever heard this this one? There's a little bit of hope in the mix of a lot of pain in this book. So what's happening here? Well, one thing that's pretty obvious is, is that that hope is rising up in the midst of a lot of anguish. And the voice that is crying out puts words to the collective longing that Israel is feeling at this time because of the destruction of their city. God had kind of just seemingly left them to be all on their own. They felt like they were completely isolated and cut off from God. These words whisper with grief and faith held in tension. Another famous prayer. How long, Lord? Have you ever prayed that one? How long do I have to deal with this? How long is it going to be the way that it is? How long until you come back again and make all things new? If you haven't prayed that much, it's just part of life. It really is. But there's this running current underneath the waiting and the wondering. It's running underneath, like running underneath the concrete. We find, we find hope breaking through and giving us a foretaste of a better future. When hope breaks through, that's what it does, doesn't it? It gives us a taste of a better future. So even in the midst of um, all this pain, the poet lifts his burdened head for a moment to share this assurance of God's loving kindness. And that he'll send a savior for his people. By the way, if you look back at verse 26, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I love the part in this passage that talks about um, calling something to mind. Remember, the whole first half of the chapter, he's talking about all the pain and the suffering that is going on in the life of this people group and in his personal life. But he calls something to mind. He's like, but you know what? I remember something else. There's something else that I'm feeling led to remember right now. And it's that God is faithful and that he's good. And even in the midst of all these things, his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. But then we find ourselves back at the waiting, don't we? Because 
Hope's great, but waiting is not. <laughs> and they're kind of connected. And there's a tension there that we find ourselves in. And I, I think that it's really similar to the tension that we feel when we think about the kingdom of God. We've been talking a lot about the kingdom of God lately. And if you haven't heard some of that, the basic uh, tension that we find ourselves in is that the kingdom of God is here that can break in at any moment. And it's broken into your life at times. And yet it's not fully realized because there's still sickness and depression and death and addiction. And so we find ourselves in this tension where it's like, oh, there's this amazing moment that God broke through in my life. And oh my gosh, pain is still real. I had this happen in this weekend in my life. I got a call from a friend on Friday, and he told me that his brother had died of a drug overdose this week. And it just, I, I felt the pain in his voice when he gave me that report. And I felt the how long, Lord, kind of prayer rise up within me. How long does this have to keep happening? And then, last night, <laughs> we're all partying together and singing songs and dancing and laughing and having fun and getting a foretaste of the goodness of God amongst, our ch amongst each other. And it's like, how can these two things happen at the same time? How can hope and pain both be present? This is the tension that is pulling us in both directions. And it's uncomfortable, isn't it? When it comes to waiting, there's a quote that I really like. It's by author Barbara Brown Taylor. She says, our waiting is not nothing. It is something, a very big something because people tend to be shaped by whatever it is they're waiting for. Are you being shaped by the things that you're waiting for? Maybe more than you realize. Your individual waiting, whatever it may be, you may be waiting for a relationship or a job or someone to be healed. And what of our, our collective waiting is important too, right? Like, we think about things pretty individually. I know I do. How does this affect me? But what about our collective waiting for the return of Jesus to make all things new? It's hard, but we're being shaped by it. It is shaping us in ways we realize, in ways that we don't realize. And it's shaped generations of people that came before us as well. And one of the advantages that we have today over our uh, ancestors, at least the Israel, Israelites that were waiting for Jesus to come the first time, is that when Jesus came and did what he did, when he died and rose again, he left us the Holy Spirit. This is an advantage that we have in our waiting, is that we have the comforter. We have the advocate that lives within us when we accept Jesus into our lives. And hope rises up in the midst of all these things with that advantage. And it should give us a little confidence, I think. And I think biblical hope's a little different than the hope that the world talks about. Don't you? Or to be fair, any of the Advent week themes 
biblical joy, biblical peace is different. And I think the way that it's different to me is kind of like, you know, if I'm hopeful, I'm hoping that something good's going to happen. So, you know, some of you might say, I hope the Bengals win the Super Bowl before I die. Some of you might say that. You know, maybe that's not a confident hope. (laughs) Biblical hope is the kind of hope that expects a good thing to happen. It's a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. A confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. It's why we wake up in the morning, those of us that are following Jesus right now, because we have a hope that he's going to come and make all things new. And we also have the hope that we don't have to just sit and wait and look at the clock, that he can break in now and do things. It'd be a lot harder if we were just watching our clocks all day, waiting. And there's another part of this that I think is really cool and an advantage that we have in this stage of our waiting is that while we wait, we get to celebrate. Do you like that? It rhymes. (laughs) While we wait... We get to celebrate. I know, I know. And I want to bring up a New Testament passage to look at with this in mind. It's in Luke chapter 1. And so the context here is that in Luke 1, a lot goes on in Luke 1, but what I want to focus in on is that Mary had been visited by an angel and told she was going to be the mother of Jesus. Pretty big deal. And the angel also tells her that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, even though she was older and hadn't been able to have children up to that point. So Mary rushes to go see Elizabeth, and that's where I want to pick it up here. There it is. Luke 1, 39. There are no pages rattling. There are no, I, can't, I hear no pages. That's all right. I'm going to trust you using your Bible phone or the screen behind me. Luke 1.39 says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. It's a little more uplifting passage, isn't it? Right? Elizabeth wasn't able to have kids for whatever reason. At ancient Near East, they would call that uh, someone that is barren. But the text says you know, early in in Luke 1, which we didn't read, that her and her husband were old. They'd been waiting for this. And you might be like, well, how do you know? Maybe they didn't want to have kids. Well, first of all, at that time in history, it was not looked upon favorably if you weren't having kids. It was kind of uh, not a positive thing. And who who knows how long they'd been waiting. But in verse 6, Luke says that both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And so I don't think it's a stretch to assume that Elizabeth was a woman filled with hope. Verse 13 even says, 
But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. So I just imagine, how long were Elizabeth and Zechariah praying for a child? How long were they waiting and crying out, how long, Lord? In the midst of their waiting, they were faithful, at least from what we know in this text. They were following the Lord and doing what God was asking them to do, and they were praying. They were crying out. And so here's what I want to say about that. He hears you. He hears you. The prayer that you've been praying for a really long time, he hears you. He's faithful. It just got really quiet. You can hear me walking. But he's faithful. He hears your prayers. It doesn't feel like it sometimes, does it? It's hard to find that little green plant rising up out of the concrete sometimes. But does this make sense to you? That in our waiting, we're being formed and we're being shaped. And the kingdom of God brings things and breaks them into our reality. And things like hope rise out of the concrete. But we still live in this tension. I referenced Eugene Peterson earlier. And I want to bring um, his paraphrase of the passage that we read at the beginning up again. Because it's really good from the message. You guys know the message. So back to Lamentations, verses 19 through 26. He says, I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember. The feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other thing I remember. And remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They've, they're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. I love that he says, I keep a grip on hope. How do you keep a grip on hope in the midst of this waiting? God's compassion and unfailing love came to us in the form of a little baby in a manger because he's never and will never abandon the ones he loves, you and me. And maybe you haven't fully accepted that truth yet. Maybe you're here on the fence between life with Jesus and life without him. The good news is is that he's ready when you're ready. And there's no better time than now to open the door of your heart to him. So here's another invitation if you haven't heard one lately to open the door of your heart to him today. And we'll have an opportunity to do that a little later when we pray for each other. Just like the poet from our scripture though, we can call to mind or remember examples from our own lives to help that hope rise up. There are examples in your life either that are very familiar or they're buried underneath someone else, some, something else. 
that God wants you to bring to mind. So can we do that right now? Will you close your eyes? I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us call to mind an example from our own lives right now of hope. So Holy Spirit, would you show us, would you remind us, would you bring to mind an example of the faithfulness of our King? I'm just going to be quiet for 30 seconds and let us sit in this. Probably wasn't even 30 seconds. Felt like a long time, didn't it? I'm going to ask Jesse to come back up if he's ready and going to do another song for us. And during this song, I just want to encourage you to continue the process that you just started of bringing those things to mind. I think that there might be some things that God just wants to, to meet you in during this time. And then I'm going to come back and give you some thoughts, and we're going to pray together and have an opportunity to receive prayer. Sound good?